You know, it's, uh, you know, you heard the Christmas story last Sunday, and uh, as you reflect on the familiarity, Richard, we had it in the Sunday school, we had it in the sermons, as you reflect on on that account of, uh, and even the account today as we look at the life of Christ and life of Jesus in his early growing up years, you know, we've heard that story for how many years, how many times have we, we gone through, especially the Christmas story, and uh, so you've heard it again, you know, not once, but maybe 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 times. And I, I thought about that account of, of the Christmas story and uh, the birth of Christ. And uh, one of the things that I, I thought about as I meditated on what surrounded Christ's birth and we use the term frame of reference. And, uh, if we talk about frame of reference, we, th- we use that as a, as a, uh, to describe our thinking process. Our frame of reference is an expression I've used that, okay, this is my perimeters in which I've been thinking. And we all have probably what we could say is a frame of reference. It's, it's built on our experiences, it's built on our past, it's built on the life in which we function and live. And, uh, for my frame of reference in relation to the birth of Christ, I always I always appreciated and enjoyed the fact that uh, it was somewhat rural and uh, somewhat in an agriculture setting, because that's my frame of reference. I felt like that was special, and uh, so that was my uh, my frame of, of reference in relation to uh, um, the birth of Christ. You know, you look at Luke 2 and you look at fields, you look at flocks, you look at shepherds, you look at a manger. You know, those are all expressions that, you know, okay, yeah, we can get a hold of that. And we understand that to a uh, limited degree. And, uh, you know, we uh, we somewhat build our frame of reference around the storybooks. And I, I brought one along here, you know, and we, we, we let our imagination, you know, kind of sometimes take over. And uh, Lawrence provided this uh, book with me. I think it's actually Darren and Beth's, and they left it at our place, so they want it back. But I thought I'd bring it along for the sermon this morning. And that's a picture depicting the birth of Christ. And, you know, we we get that picture of the baby in the manger, and actually, down, this is what I, what I remember. <laughs> there's there's two little mice down there just, you know, in reverence, peering up at the, the Savior. <laughs> and then I noticed something else up in the corner is a spider web. Now, I hadn't heard about the spider, but he may have been there. I don't know. But, uh, you know, that's an artist's imagination of what it was like. And so we, we, we get them pictures in our mind and we think, okay, that's probably how it was. Kind of really, uh, nostalgic. Then I was reading, as I was thinking and meditating on that, I, I was reading, doing some background reading, and I came across answers in Genesis, uh, some, uh, thoughts on, on their perspective of what the birth of Christ was like. And, you know, one of the, it mentions there in Luke chapter 2, In verse 7 it says, And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And imagine, and and automatically we think of an inn, you know, we think of, yeah, okay, as we think of an inn today. And uh, Answers in Genesis brought out an interesting thought that uh, maybe destroys that. He said, if you take the original Greek word for in there, it's actually the same Greek word that Jesus used when he had the Passover with his disciples in the upper room. And uh, he said, if you stop and think about it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a probably a, not an inn as we would think of a, a motel, an inn. 
that they were refused lodging in, but it was probably an upper room, an upper guest room, which was very prevalent in Palestine at that time. And Joseph very likely would have been staying among relatives where, uh, you know, that was, uh, you know, the family connections were very, very strong. And uh, due to the taxation, probably that upper room was already occupied or taken, uh, filled up when Jesus and Mary, or Joseph and Mary got there. And uh, so this very likely was another room, lower level room, off of the house, where perhaps the, in Palestine, the normal would have been to perhaps have a, a second room in the lower level where the animals were perhaps brought in overnight. And uh, obviously there was a manger there. Scripture is clear in that and it appears to be no uh, discrepancy in that uh, aspect. But I did find that interesting that uh, that uh, the, the original Greek word used for in there is actually the same Greek word that we find back in Luke where Jesus, in Luke 22, where he celebrated the, or initiated the Last Supper with the disciples in the upper room. So when he was born, that upper room was not available, but when his death was pending, that upper room was available that he could share that with his his disciples. So as I was thinking about what to share this morning, I, I thought, you know, where, and that's again, that's some of my imagination. I thought, you know, where would have I fit in the story if I would have been back there? Would have it been, what have I provided the manger? Would have I been the shepherds on the hillside? And, you know, that's okay to think that, I guess, but, you know, I didn't have that choice. You and I here this morning were not a part of, of that nativity experience of our, our Lord. But, I'd like to take you down in Luke chapter 2 to verse 18. We are a part, and actually the shepherds, if we look at you know their response to the announcement, the angelic announcement, the, the shepherds were probably the first missionaries. They went and told the story. They went and told what all they had seen. But I, the title of my meditation here is taken out of verse 18. And it says, And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. So the shepherds brought the message throughout the countryside, as they went, they told them what they had seen. And they that heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. You and I today are part of that group that have heard it. They that heard it, we are part of that group. We can't get away from that fact. We have heard the gospel story. We've heard the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus. And we know his mission and purpose of being here, to die on the cross for the redemption of our sins. question I ask myself as I meditated on on that thought, what am I doing with what I have heard? What are you doing this morning with what you have heard in regards to the gospel? Going back to one verse in uh, Romans chapter 11, so I thought about what am I doing with what I have heard. In Romans chapter 11, there's a, a directive given that I think we need to that gives us focus, Romans 11, verse 36. And if you know what follows Romans 11 is Romans 12. And that talks about you and I being uh, living sacrifices for Christ. Romans 11, verse 36 reads like this. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. And I like that verse. Because it gives us focus, it gives us direction 
on what we ought to be doing with what we have heard. We ought to be focusing on God. We ought to be praising Him. He's worthy of everything that we can do for His glory. To whom be glory forever. Of Him, through Him, to Him, are all things to whom be glory forever. And that's the context that I want to think about this morning. We ought to be bearers of the good tidings of great joy. We look back to Luke chapter 2 verse 10. That's exactly what the, uh, the angels were. They were spread, they said, we bring you good tidings of great joy. We ought to be bringing that good tidings of great joy. The angels are not here doing it anymore. We need to do it. Verses 13 through 14. We need to be praising and glorifying God with the heavenly host. Verses 15 and 16. We have the shepherds there. Again, likely the first missionaries. They went with haste to seek the Savior. Are we with haste doing our Father's business as we looked at Jesus' example in his uh, in the Sunday school lesson this morning? At a very young age, he realized and had a grasp of, of his purpose and mission in life. Verse 18 in Luke chapter 2, it says, uh, They were amazed and wondering at the events. And how has it impacted my lives? We have so many things to praise God for. And I want to go back to Psalms 113 this morning. As I think about praising the Lord, you know, we, we tend to be, as Germans, or with German background, we tend to be kind of stoic and not very expressive. And, you know, as I thought about that, I thought, you know, it's, uh, I know another minister was relating to me just recently of an event that was taking place between several brethren. And he said they were working out some details and some differences. And he said one brother that was kind of moderating the, the session said he was just on the sidelines praising the Lord. And, uh, I found that fascinating that he observed that, you know, and I think that's what we need to do more often. We need to praise the Lord for the ability that we can work out differences. Looking at Psalms 113, verses I want to read Dan Terrence, Psalm here, it says, Praise ye the Lord, praise, O ye servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high? Who humbleth himself to be who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in earth. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and lifteth up the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. He maketh the barren woman to keep house, and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. You know, as we think of praising the Lord, I mentioned our, our background, our stoicness, or our reservedness. Uh, we tend to, and I don't know if that's an excuse or not, I guess you can decide that or, or not, but I think we, there are other factors that enter into our restrictive praising the Lord, and some of it is reality. You know, life is demanding, life is very demanding, there's, we're preoccupied with thoughts, we are, we're preoccupied with what is taking place sometimes, uh, sometimes there's, we're experiencing struggles in our walk with the Lord, we experience struggles in a practical way, we're perhaps weary, uh, perhaps we're experiencing pain. Perhaps we're experiencing rejection in relationships. You know, it's innumerable. Life is cruel. Many times. It is. And, uh, but you know, 
Does that give us an excuse not to praise the Lord? God is God, and he's worthy of all the praise we can give him, according to what Psalms 113 is. One of the things that stood out to me as I looked at this psalm here, he who humbled himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in earth. To me, that's a that's a note of encouragement. God humbles himself and has to kneel down and look and see you and me here in our frailty, in our finiteness, in our inability to praise him, he gets down and he looks at us and he notices our struggles and our problems and our difficulties that we're going through. And that's a, that's a comfort to know that God is willing to do that. And uh, shouldn't we respond with praise because he's willing to do that? He humbled himself to behold the things that are in the heaven and in the earth. And then he says he, he's willing to raise us up. And that's what I think I want to focus on this morning. So we think of praising the Lord. There's eight things that I have listed here. The power of praise and what it can do for you and I as, as children of God. The first thing I want you to think about is, as we think of praising the Lord is it gets our focus where it ought to be in the first place. When we're, when we're uh, focusing on praising the Lord, it, it takes our focus off of ourselves, takes our focus off of our problems, and focuses on God. After all, God knows all about our problems. God knows all about the difficulties we're going through in life. You know, we were talking about, uh, seeing a Sunday school lesson, we were talking about uh, independence, I believe. And, uh, you know, we do live in a very, very independent culture and society where we can take care of things. But in reality, we are so dependent on each other and so dependent on God that I think many times I, personally myself, don't realize how how dependent I am on other people and God. We live in a very, very selfie world where, uh, you know, the focus is on how does that affect me? How will that impact me? When in reality, when we focus on God and uh, appreciated uh, what uh, Richard shared in relation to, uh, you know, servant, uh, Jesus exemplified that so perfectly. He became a servant there in Philippians chapter 3. Life isn't about me. The world isn't about me. I'm here for a purpose. I'm here for, I'm here to minister. I'm here to serve. Regardless of my daily struggles, God is worthy of my praise. I want to just turn back to Psalms 148 to, uh, Psalms 148. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise ye him, all his angels. Praise ye him, all his hosts. Praise ye him, sun and moon. Praise him, all ye stars of light. Praise him, ye heavens of heavens, and ye waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. He hath also established them forever and ever. He hath made a decree which shall not pass. Praise the Lord from the earth. That's you and me. Praise ye the Lord from the earth, ye dragons and all ye deeps. Fire, hail, snow, vapor, stormy, wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all the cattle, creeping things and flying fowl. Kings of the earth and all people, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men, maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and his, and is above the earth and heaven. He also exalteth the horn of his people, the praise of all his saints, even the children of Israel, a people near unto him. Praise ye the Lord. 
Certainly God is worthy of our praise and it gets our focus also off of ourselves and on him who is worthy of our praise. Second thing that praise does for us that will help us to keep our equilibrium is that it brings us to humility. And again, it doesn't matter how big, how rich you are, we are really in control of a very, very small portion of the world. And uh, we are dependent on God for everything. And I need to say yes, everything. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, we need to be reminded of that, that it's, it's not what we amass, what I accumulate, but it's what I give, what I, what I'm willing to share and pass on into the next generation and into eternity. Third thing that praise does for us, praise makes the enemy flee. As you think about praising God, it's like turning on the light switch. I don't know how you find it, but I, I find morning is a much more inspiring time than nighttime. Uh, you know, if you're facing difficulties, uh, nighttime, they look worse. In the evening, they look worse. In the morning, it just puts on it a, new, a whole new perspective. And uh, as I think of praising the Lord, it's just like turning on the light. Regardless of what the difficulties, what the problems are you're facing. When you turn on that, it's like turning on the light. Darkness and evil have to go. If you feel like Satan has you in a corner, start singing. Start praising him. The account is uh, that we could mention is uh, back in the Old Testament where the... Uh, and I should just turn to that, Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15, where God actually revealed himself in a very powerful way. This is Jehoshaphat uh, with the children of Israel. Verse 20, verse 15 tells us, uh, we sing that song, the battle is the Lord's, and that's where this is taken from. Verse 15, and he said, Hearken ye, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou king Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by the reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but it is God's. And then dropping down to verses 21 and 22, and uh, they had been given... uh, Instructions what to do in verse 21, and here's them bringing out that instructions or fleshing out that instructions. When they had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should, and that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army, and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, and, and when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord said ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. I believe that promise holds true for us today. The enemy may have us surrounded, may have us in a corner, but I believe God calls us to sing praises to him. And I I was challenged with that example of, in the past, with God working in a powerful way in delivering them. God, I believe, wants to deliver us as well from the powers of Satan, from the powers of darkness. The fourth thing that praising God will do is it'll... It will pick you up. It'll give you, it'll give you what you need. You may be down. But praising God, I believe, picks you up and, uh, you know, we sing songs like, does Jesus care? Sure, Jesus cares. We looked at that earlier. He knows our burdens. And, uh, we sing that song, take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. And, uh, just turning to Psalm 103 while I'm right close here, uh, several verses here, verses 2 and 4. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, and who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Talk about having a pickup. There it is, right there by in the Psalms. God will bless us and uh, give us what we need in comparison to the struggles and burden that we're carrying. But again, we need to realize that we need to take it to him. We need to leave it there with him. The fifth thing that praising God does for us, it puts us on alert for future blessings. And as I, I thought about that, I, I had to wonder, how many blessings of God do we sometimes miss? Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. F- familiar verse, Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. God has is here telling us that he has blessings in store for us. And how many times do I miss those blessings at God simply because I'm not alert enough? Praising God, I believe, as we're looking to him, as we're focusing on him, it puts us on alert to to anticipate those future blessings that we may encounter. Daily blessings, many times. Psalm 68, verse 19 mentions that aspect of dailiness. Who daily loads us with his benefits. God wants to bless us with his benefits daily. How many times do I take it for granted? Assume that God is going to bless me. The sixth thing that praising God will do, it will attract God's presence. God will be there. Does that send the chills up and down your spine to realize that when you begin to praise God, that God is in your presence right here with you today? As we praise God together this morning, singing songs, talking about the scripture, discussing his life. You know, even if there's a lot of things we don't understand, I think that ought to send the chills up and down our spine as we think of God's presence being attracted because of our praise to him. Psalms 22 verse 3 tells us that he inhabits the praise of his people. When we're praising God, he inhabits the praise of his people. Where, they, where people are praising God, he is there. The seventh aspect of praising God that it does for us, it'll be a refreshing experience. God may not change our problems. God may not change our circumstances. But he adjusts our attitude toward those circumstances and experience. And it helps us to perhaps gain a a new perspective. Psalm 16 verse 11 tells us, In his presence is fullness of joy. Do we know and can I experience the fullness of joy in Christ this morning? You know, that's not... The focus isn't on my circumstances. The focus isn't on my difficulties. My focus is on God. And it can, I can experience refreshing in those experiences, in those difficulties. God allows them. God knows they're there. But he adjusts my focus, my perspective, so that I can still be refreshed in him. I was reading, I was reading just recently, uh, a book that my wife got for Christmas at Merle, Romaine Stauffer, Merle Burkholder's uh, talk about refreshing. 
Merle Burkholder from Northern Youth, and it's recounting a lot of his experiences while he was there on the mission field. And uh, he was involved in a prison ministry there at Kenora. And I'm just going to verbally tell it as I remember the story, so it may not be exactly accurate. But as he was involved in the prison ministry there was uh, at Kenora, there was uh, an ecumenical uh, representation of churches that shared in that work. I think he mentioned Catholic, Baptist, uh, several other different Protestant denominations, evangelical Protestant denominations. And once a year, the warden would throw an appreciation breakfast for these these ministers that were coming into the prison. And uh, so they were together there for this appreciation breakfast that was hosted by the warden. And uh, this happened once a year. And so they all got together and uh, they were sharing, they were visiting. And, and then uh, the warden uh, opened the service and he said he had asked the Catholic uh, father to have to share the, uh, the, the meditation for the day. And so he, the father got up and the Catholic father got up and read his meditation. And he said, well, I know before he read it, he said, I want you fellow ministers here to think about three things. And if I can remember them, the one was, he said, I want you to, as I read, be ready to share something that stands out to you about this portion of scripture. The second thing is, uh, something, I can only think of two of them now. The second thing was, there was three things he asked him, though. The second thing was, he said, think of, I want you to think of that God is telling you personally something that you need to change. And I don't remember the third one, and that's immature, really, what the third question was. But So as he read this portion of Scripture, then he, he they went around the circle there, and they all... And I must stop and tell you one thing. There was the, the representative that was from the Baptist community there was a 91-year-old man by the name of John Lang. And uh, he was involved in the apprentice ministry there too. And as they all went around this ring and shared, John Lang, the Baptist uh, representative there, didn't share anything. And so the father went to, said, okay, the second question. They all shared a thought. And uh, again, the Baptist, uh, uh, John Lang, didn't share anything. And they come to the third question. And again, they all went around and shared their insights into this portion of Scripture and what it meant to them and how it was going to impact them. And again, John didn't share anything. And so uh, finally, at the end there, the, uh, the Catholic father asked John, he said, uh, he was probably the oldest of the group there, and he said, John, he said, you haven't shared anything this morning. He said, uh, would you like to share something? He said, even if it's outside of the three questions that I ask. And uh, Merle said, John, study it for a little bit, you know. And he said, uh, you know, he said, this this John's his he spent most of his life out in the wilderness. He was running a trap line. He come back in on the weekends and, you know, associated with town people there in his ministry and at the prison ministry. And uh, But he was back in the bush a lot of his life. And uh, so he said, uh, you know, he said, I, I live a very very lonely life out in the wilderness. And uh, he said, I don't have a degree like most of you sitting around this circle here do with degrees and divinities and college degrees and high school degrees. And he said, uh, I'm not very good with words. He said, uh, I'm, I'm kind of a lonely sort of a person. But he said, I do uh, I do enjoy interacting with the prisoners. And he said, uh, if I meet them on the street, sometimes we'll stop and talk and share together about things in life and we'll go have a cup of coffee together. And he said, I struggle with what to share with them and whether I shared the right thing and, and, and how, what I should share and whether I'm really helping them or not. And he said, uh, but you know, he said, I, I, I realized that God used a man by the name of John in, uh, in, uh, as a forerunner to the coming of Christ and preparing the way for the Messiah. 
And he said, perhaps today he can still use a man named John. And uh, Merle just went on to say, he said, you know, he said it was just kind of like, it overshadowed all the other thoughts, what all the others had shared. He said it was just so, he was so gripped by the humility of this 91-year-old man and his willingness to be used regardless of his age and his intellect and his uh, social skills. And he said, you know, I just, uh, uh, he said that, I, I, I can't remember what any of the rest of them said, but he said, I remember John. And he said in his humility and his uh, his social you know, what, what God had given him, the gifts that God had given him, he was willing to use. And God, he's saying, perhaps God can still use that today. And I think that's an encouragement for us as we look at praising the Lord. And, uh, you know, we're not back in the nativity time of Christ, but we are living in the 21st century, and God can use each one of us today in like manner. So it can be a refreshing experience. And that brings me to point number eight. As we think of praising God, I think it, it puts us in an environment where God can work. And I guess that's what challenges me as I think about praising God. It puts us in an environment where God can work. And uh, for Scripture, we could turn back to uh, Acts chapter 16. And let me just take the time to do that where we have the account of Paul and Silas, a New Testament account. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosened. And the keeper of the prison awakened out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open. He drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in the house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes and, were ba- and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. That's an impressive, that's an impressive story as we think about what happened from singing. And you say, well, that never happened if I sing and praise the Lord. Well, don't underestimate the power of God. God's power is just as real today as it was then. And uh, such a challenging aspect as we think of praising God creates an environment in which God can work. Am I faithful in creating an environment? You know, the world today is, is concerned about environment, but uh, that's secondary in relation to creating an environment where, where God can work. In. And God can certainly isn't restricted if we don't praise him, but uh, certainly I believe if God uh, would inspire us, we ought to be willing to praise him, and he then can work as well.